Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. The project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And if you're here for the first time, you're probably not aware that there's always a transcript of each and every one of the podcasts available in the episode notes section of the podcast. You'll also find links there to various ways which you can connect with the ministry and the other teaching resources that I make available. So why not click through and have a look there? Can I just say you are very welcome if you're here for the first time and maybe you might consider joining us on this journey and make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. But other than that, we'll dive straight back into the text and I'll see you at the back end just to update you and say goodbye. So bye for now. Okay, let's continue by just reading again from the main text, which is Matthew 4, and the point we're picking it up now is verse 17, which says this, From that time on Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw his two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. That's a modern translation, the very familiar one, I'm sure we all know. He says, I will send you out and make you fishers of men. All right, that's the opening of this passage, and it tells us he went to Galilee. Now, that's the region. Capernaum was the regional city. It also tells us what he did when he got there. And first of all, he preached, and he preached that people needed to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we've already looked at what that means when we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist, what that word repent means. So if you've been following along, you will already know the meaning of that word. But let me just remind you, just in case you joined us for the first time. Repent means to literally change your mind. But also this time we want to consider what this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, means in this context, what this message actually means at this time and how it applies to us today. Is this a reference to the spiritual kingdom where Christ reigns in our hearts when we accept him as Lord? Or is it a reference to the time when he will come back and set up a kingdom, his kingdom on earth? Now there is in some sense a way by in which the kingdom of God is in our hearts when we invite God into our lives. However, it's worth noting that in the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom when mentioned is usually the one promised in the Old Testament, the one in which Jesus as Messiah will be seen to set up when he comes back. It's the messianic kingdom, and that's the interpretation that most Bible experts say fits really with the whole prophetic and fulfillment outlook that Matthew is taking when considering the good news of the arrival of Jesus Christ. You see, this perspective is critical to our understanding of the Gospel of Matthew. So look at that verse again. He's preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But what then about this kingdom? So is this kingdom, now that Christ has come, is it here or is it near? 
because it's important to note that Matthew doesn't say the kingdom of God is here. He is saying it is at hand, it is near. Now that's important because, as I said, there are those who think this is a reference to just a spiritual kingdom that exists in our hearts. But if that was the case, he would have said the kingdom is here now. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus here is seen to preach, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now repent, as I said, means to change your mind. It's about changing your mind from trusting in yourself to trusting in God. Now in that day, it meant that just because you were a son of Abraham, as they said, a member of the Jewish nation, thinking that you'd got it made, that's what it meant then. Today, it might mean that you're the sort of person who thinks because you live in a Christian country or attend church on a Sunday, or maybe you come from a Christian family, then those things alone make you right with God. In other words, you're made right with God through your lineage or your heritage rather than in your first decision to trust in Christ and what he has done rather than your own historical or personal family background. The Bible very clearly tells us that John the Baptist said that. He said, believe on him who comes after me. And now Jesus himself is saying it about himself. So Jesus is preaching exactly the same message as John the Baptist did. But Jesus, of course, knows that there's a lot of villages to cover in this legion. So lots of recruits are going to be needed, not only to proclaim the message to the Galilee region, but eventually throughout the whole land and the whole world. So that's why the text is now going to show us that he's going to call and he's going to call people to follow him. He sees two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, and they're casting a net into the sea. And he calls them and he calls them to follow him. Now it's helpful to understand that when we take the wider view from the other gospel accounts as well, we know that he has already met Andrew and that Andrew, in fact, was a follower of John the Baptist. And it was John the Baptist, remember, who said when he saw Jesus approaching, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So the Bible is saying that Andrew, in a sense, was already an apostle. And John also talks about the time when he spent a day with him. And it tells us that it was Andrew who brought him, who was his own brother, Simon, and said to him, look, I find the Messiah. And then he brought him to Jesus. So all of those events have already happened. So when this passage in verse 18 talks about Simon, Peter and Andrew, these men at this point were believers in the sense that they already understood that Jesus was the Messiah. Therefore, what we see here is the fact that it is to believers that Jesus makes the call to follow him, telling them he will make them fishers of men. So if you or I are going to accept the call to follow him, what is it we have to do to move from being just a believer to someone who actually becomes a follower, someone who becomes a follower of Christ? They had already become believers. This is their call to become disciples. Well, it's helpful to know that the word disciple just means student or learner. Now, in our modern mind, the word student or learner, it kind of paints a picture of academic study, doesn't it? But that's part of it. But as a matter of fact, this was an expression used by all the rabbis of Jesus' day when they would say to the potential students, follow me. And then those disciples would literally choose to follow them around. 
And that's what he's calling them to do. So when Jesus says to these men to follow him, part of what he meant was that they should follow him literally. He was physically present, remember. He was talking to these fishermen face to face. And he says, in essence, leave what you're doing and come travel with me and learn by seeing what I do. And that's what follow me means in the context of what's going on here. And we immediately see their reaction to his call in verse 20, where it tells us, at once they left their nets and followed him. For them, this meant leaving their businesses and following him. Then picking up on verse 21, it says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus calls them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. So going on from there, he sees these two other brothers, James and John. So these are two brothers, and of course the first two called, Peter and Andrew, they're two brothers as well. So these are four men, three of which will become Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James and John actually. And these two new brothers are also involved in the fishing business. But this time it's declared that they work in the business of their father and they're sitting working with him, mending their nets. So this first set of brothers were actually fishing, casting their nets and the next set of brothers are mending their nets and he calls them and they, they immediately leave the boat and their father. Now a parallel passage says that Zebedee also had servants. So their father was in a sense in charge of a small, well maybe even a medium sized family fishing business. So perhaps on this occasion they weren't causing him huge financial damage or leaving him in the, the lurch when they left him. And also of course he witnessed their call and it would seem at least acquiesce to the fact that they go and follow. So what I'm getting at here is don't be misled by people who say that we should always have to give up all our worldly possessions and resources to follow Jesus. Now on the surface that can appear a quite an attractive spiritual message that people like to pull out of this but I don't think it's an accurate representation of the passage if you say people have to renounce their worldly goods to follow Jesus. But it is a fair comment to say that this is a significant event for them. It's a big thing to do. For them to follow Christ meant that they had to leave the family business and no doubt their friends as well. So what does it mean to follow Christ for us? Well, in this case, it was literal and it was physical. It meant leaving their business, their boats and their friends to go travelling with him. So what does it mean for us today if we're to become a follower of Christ? The call to follow is, of course, a synonym for discipleship. And discipleship, as I said, means to be a learner. So it simply means that we need to choose to make a decision to begin to learn as much as we can about him and from him. And as we get to know him, then we too will be trained to become fishers of men also. Now, fishers of men is one of the main metaphors used in the New Testament concerning the seeking of others in order to introduce them to Christ so that they too may become disciples. 
Other metaphors that are used are things like the shepherd, the one who is seen to leave the 99 sheep and go seek the one lost sheep. And another metaphor is that of the farmer. As a disciple, we are the ones who are to see that the fields are white and ready for harvest and to go into the field and bring the harvest in. But perhaps the most familiar in all of the New Testament is the fact that as disciples, we are called to become fishers of men. We are to go out and to catch other people for Christ. Now that metaphor can cause a little bit mixture and the idea of catching people can be misunderstood. It's sort of foreign to our modern way of thinking. I suspect if I were to ask unprompted a group of primary school children today, what would you call someone who catches someone else? It's most likely they would say the police, isn't it? I don't think they'd think of a fisherman. But fishing here is clearly being used as a metaphor for catching people for Christ, catching them to save them, captivating people, capturing their attention so that their attention and their outlook turns towards the person of Jesus. Therefore, hear me and hear me well, friends. If you're a follower of Christ, you should be seeking to get others to follow him also. And you should do that by at least begin and try to introduce him to other peoples. And that's what it means to follow me. That's what it means for us to say. He says, follow me and I'm going to teach you and to train you how to catch others, so to speak, and how to teach them also to follow me in turn. But let me turn this around for a moment by saying, if you're not seeking to catch others, then you're not really genuinely following Christ. I'd really like to camp on this phrase for a little while and squeeze this metaphor a little bit to get some extra out of it. And I feel justified in doing this because it is the metaphor that Jesus himself chose to use about himself. And it's not just one of the metaphors used about him by other biblical writers. Now I'm going to close today's episode by giving you a short list. Suppose you want to become a fisher of men. Well, there are certain qualities of a good fisherman that is good to have. And I'd just like to go through those and give you some of those and see if any of them land and how we approach this calling today. Now, the original list I'm using here isn't original to me. It was created many, many years ago by a minister called Kay Carson. I have borrowed it, unedited, rejected a few, padded a few out, but here, in a sense, is my version of it. Firstly... A fisherman has to be patient. You've got to wait and wait and wait until the fish bite. And I think that tells us that only rarely, as teachers seeking to teach and train others on the life of Christian discipleship, we can't expect to quickly see students develop. One of the hardest lessons of the ministry, particularly a pulpit ministry, is that you teach and teach and yet you often don't get to see the fruit. But if you're truly going to catch others for Christ, captivate them for Christ, then you have to be patient. And sometimes only later will others see the fruit of your labours. The second quality you need is perseverance. Fishermen are an interesting lot. It appears to me they rarely get discouraged. They're happy to wait all day. They just keep trying and trying and waiting and trying. And if you're going to catch people for Christ, you're going to preach and teach and you've just got to do that job. 
continue in perseverance as a believer, as a follower of Christ. You have to be persistent and you have to keep going no matter what. The third quality of a fisherman is courage. Fishing, especially at that time in the Sea of Galilee, in those particularly basic types of boat they had, needed courage. Storms came up very suddenly. We'll actually see that later in the Gospel of Matthew. And this telling me that people, telling people the spiritual truths that need to be told in our times can at times be dangerous. People don't always want to hear the truth, especially if part of your message is the fact that they're sinners and need to be saved. They don't like it. So you definitely need that third quality of courage if you're going to be a fisher of men. The fourth quality of a good fisherman is you have to be willing to wait for the right moment. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but there is a program in the UK that Paul and I love watching. It's called Gone Fishing, and it's where two well-known comedians just go to some of the most beautiful locations in the UK, and they fish together, and we sort of eavesdrop on their chats. Now, one of the things I've learned watching that program is, as a fisherman, you have to wait for the right moment. Now that means waiting for the right moment to strike, but it can also mean, sometimes for fishermen, it means getting up early in the morning. In other words, appearing, being there at the right time. Or very often just waiting for that nibble, that right moment when interest is shown for you to strike. You've got to have an eye for the right moment, which for teachers of the word, disciples of the word, sometimes wait us waiting for the teachable moment to appear. There are times when people will welcome the truth, but more often or not, the fact is they will resent the truth. And a good fisherman needs to know when to look out and wait for the moment. And for us, as winners of souls, we need to look out for that teachable moment where we can become an answer to the question that they're posing, or maybe just be able to step in with some help and compassion at the time when their own resources have failed them to carry them through the most difficult trial or time that they're facing. Now the sixth one, which is my final one, is one of my favourites and one I have to confess I'd never have thought of by myself. The sixth quality is the fisherman should keep himself out of sight. Fish often flee if they see the fisherman. Now, I'd noticed that over the years, my preferred way of praying before preaching a sermon is often to say something along the lines of asking God to hide me, to hide the speaker, but to make himself known. And this is a fact, is a quality here that I've come to understand. The teacher, the preacher, must always seek not to present themselves, but rather to present the truth or to present Jesus and try and remove yourself out of the issue. Now I could go on from this original list. It had other characteristics like fishermen are busy, they keep actively seeking others, or ideas about fishermen casting their lines near and far, and about fishermen also knowing the nature of the fish they are trying to catch. They fish and they're going to put the correct bait on the hook for the particular fish. So there are lots of other metaphors here. It's all good and I could go on and on. But the point is, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
But there's one other thing that he did, and it kind of underpins all these other things. It tells us in this passage that Jesus confirmed the scripture. And I'll try to explain what that means as we close off in this final section. Bye for now. Okay, friends, there we go. I hope you find that helpful. We'll close off the second half of Matthew chapter 4 when we come together again tomorrow. Remember, it doesn't matter where you're getting your podcasts from, whatever provider, wherever you catch them, there should be links through there to lots of resources that can help you, not only to the transcript, but other places where I put other ways in which I make teaching and my ministry available. Places like the Bible Project Facebook page, my YouTube channel, my Patreon page if you want to become a partner and supporter of the ministry, and even my personal LinkedIn page where I have put some more sort of formal structured discipleship courses. But you know what friends, I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join me on this daily journey. The Bible Project podcast is a project to work through the entire Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, which I estimate will take around about another five years from the point we're at now. So I do hope you make the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life from here on in. And one final thing, if you're benefiting from this in any way, then why not consider sharing it, sharing links to it, so others can join us on this amazing journey. There are many, many thousands of us now working together through the Bible Project podcast, working through the Bible each and every day. And that's a wonderful thing. But that's it for now. And I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow for me. It's whatever day you open up your podcast app or wherever it is you access it. And I'll see you very soon. Bye-bye for now.